If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to read one verse again this morning, uh, verse 5. Uh, continue on in our study of the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus is taking, uh, if you notice from our Old Testament reading earlier, Psalm 37, he is taking the main point of that psalm and condensing it into just this one brief sentence. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us uh, to receive the word of God that's been given to us. Pray that you would give us a meekness of spirit to not only hear and to heed your word, but to let it ruminate within us, that we would meditate upon it, that we would see where we fall short of the standard of holiness. We would see the the glory of the gospel as it's presented to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us a a firm and and certain hope in, in the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that as we grow in that certainty and that assurance, that we would also grow in the the likeness and image of the name by which we're called Christian. We ask, Lord, for more of the grace and wisdom of heaven to to give us that mindset, to give us that power, uh, to give us that desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of all the Beatitudes, uh, meekness is probably the most misunderstood, certainly the most misjudged. It uh, doesn't matter what generation of, of, of people you're talking to, most people associate meekness with weakness or some aspect of um, low self-esteem, low confidence. The Christian humorist J. Upton Dixon once joked that he had started an organization called Doormats, an acronym standing for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls. Their motto was this, The meek shall inherit the earth if that's okay with everybody else. Their symbol was the yellow traffic light. Beware. (laughs) Caution ahead. According to the English definition, the word meekness is derived from the Old Norse uh, term that literally signifies softness. So um, you can see how it could be misunderstood. The Christian use of the word is meant to signify someone who responds to a very unkind and unloving uh, word with a soft or gentle word in reply, but uh, it can also refer to someone who's just generally soft by constitution, or in other words, someone who's fearful, someone who thinks very lowly of themselves and is unwilling to stand up uh, for what's good and what's right. So someone who's very soft in, in that regard. That's as far from what Jesus has in mind as possible. Know that from the very beginning. Uh, he is not equating meekness with any aspect of weakness, but rather great strength power in the Lord. Of course, all all the Beatitudes generally are misunderstood by unbelievers in particular, uh, often despised by them. They they usually take some aspect of faith and humility to really grasp the Beatitudes of, of Christ. There's something very wrong with us in terms of our sin that most of us reject, especially the unbeliever has no concept of his sin has no concept of his inability to save himself and to look outside of himself or herself to find a Savior. And so you can see why it would be very difficult for them to understand any of these Beatitudes because they're all dependent upon that sense of helplessness, that sense of ugliness within us that has to look to someone else 
to bring in hope and light and life and truth and all those things that come with them. Th those, those truths in and of themselves are offensive for anyone who's untouched by the Spirit of God. But the idea of sanctification is even more offensive. Okay, well, Christ has saved me, but I still have to look to someone else to help me to do anything from this point on. I'm still uh, helpless in that regard. And the Scripture says very plainly, yes, apart from Christ, you're utterly helpless and hopeless. You, you cannot improve one iota without the Spirit of God working in us and giving us that power and ability. So you can see, I mean, if you, if you read these Beatitudes casually, you can see how an unbeliever would say, well, Christianity, it seems like it focuses way too much on poverty and sadness and weakness. That's how they would perceive these things. But again, spiritual meekness is not to be equated with weakness at all, but rather power that comes only from the Spirit of God. The unbeliever will never see it that way. Uh, instead, they'll conjure up some image of feebleness and, and a lack of confidence to stand up for oneself. But the truth of the matter is this. Someone who is meek in Christ Jesus, they're not afraid to stand up for themselves. Rather, they just don't feel the need to. Uh, they've gotten beyond the sense of trying to prove their worth and, and prove themselves before a watching world. They have found their identity in Christ. It has given them a strength and resolve that they never knew before that allows them not only to be calm and collective when someone says poor things about them, but now allows them to stand up for God and their neighbor in a way that they never could before. It turns them from a fearfulness to a very strong love that can only come from God. And it really is a, a, a diametrically opposed view of the world and of ourselves when someone really grasps this aspect of Christian meekness. Again, uh, this would be the opposite of the world might expect um, in terms of winners and losers in life, right? So you, you think of a dog-eat-dog -dog world. The proud, the aggressive, the self-confident are the winners in life. They're the conquerors. And the, the rest of those who uh, don't have as much strength, don't have as much resolve, confidence, they're the ones who get stepped upon, if you will. In this life, the, the, the winners are those who fight for what is theirs, and the meek and mild are the ones who get trampled upon. It's the survival of the fittest mentality, right? Uh, in fact, um, it, it makes me think of that generation just prior to the flood, if you remember, when uh, it said uh, there were many mighty warriors during this time, even giants living at this time, and, and they were known for stomping on their fellow man and murdering and thieving and, and, and everything else without any consequences, and it was the weak who were taken advantage of. This is the, the mentality that David is struggling with in Psalm 37. He he senses that the wicked are all around him. It seems as if they're prospering. It seems as if they're conquering. It seems as if they're winning, if you will. And again, he's going into the house of God and is learning that there is a, a great strength for the meek. There's a great promise that's given to the meek that's not given to the proud. And God will in the end give the land to the meek. Even the first generation of Jews that are listening to this beatitude, you can see they would have a hard time embracing this idea as well, primarily because they had in their mind 
a Messiah who was going to come and conquer and kill all their enemies and then, then build up their kingdom so that they would be the head of all the nations and not the tail anymore. So you can see they're, they're looking to, to conquer in that sense. And, and yet Christ is giving them a different imagery of His kingdom than what they had anticipated. And His imagery of the kingdom is full of these people who are meek and gentle subjects. You can see how even the Jews themselves who had first heard this would despise the concept Altogether, in fact, a number of commentators have pointed out that there seems to be a, a clear progression in these beatitudes in which each succeeding beatitude gets harder and harder. It requires more and more humility, uh, a more emptying of ourselves and a more embracing of Christ. Indeed, poverty of spirit requires humility, but to mourn over your sin requires even more than that. You really have to hate your sinful self in order to cry over your sins. But now, this idea of meekness before God, meekness before men, is something akin to humiliation in our minds. That we would literally think that we are less than all of the others. Truth of the matter is, we, we may not have much of a problem admitting that we're sinners, <laughs> saying that there's something wrong with us, but the minute someone else tells us that there's something wrong with us, that's a different matter altogether. It takes greater humility to hear it from our neighbor than it does to admit it ourselves, right? And, and, and that's the rub of the matter. That's where meekness really comes in. It's not so much I think that I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to have others think that I am. I'm willing to have others think that I'm weak. I'm willing to have others point the spotlight upon me and say there's something wrong with me and for me not to return anger upon them for it. So if we take a closer look at meekness in terms of our relationship, I want to look at it in terms of first our relationship to God and then also our relationship to man. It's, it's, a, it's a both and here. Meekness before God is, is all-encompassing. It's, it entails a ready and joyful submission to all of God's will, all of God's providence in every aspect of our life. In other words, we realize that there's nothing that we can do better than God. There's nothing that we would do different than what He would do. So first, there's a, there's a meekness before God's law, before God's wisdom in all things. Isaiah 66, verse 2, the Lord says this, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The meek man is someone who continually trembles before God's Word. He has a reverential fear of God's Word, His law, His counsel. Someone who is poor in spirit, who's weeping over a sin, is humbled and is ready to receive God's Word just as it is. Not as he wants it to be, but as God says it plainly, clearly even painfully at times. In fact, it's only meekness that causes a Christian to look to God's law for guidance. Psalm 119, uh, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you think about it, what assumptions have to be made for someone to say that? To say God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path assumes that my path is full of darkness and foolishness because I can't see what I ought to be doing clearly. There's something wrong with me. 
I'm humbling myself before God, admitting that I don't even know what I ought to be doing today. I don't know what's the best path to take. So again, in James's counsel to uh, the believer, you know, he says, you know, don't don't say, don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. You you don't you don't even know what today holds. But even to assume that you know what's the right thing to do today without looking to God is, is an aspect of pride. You're not humbling yourself before God. Anyone who can go a single day without turning to God's Word and saying, Lord, what would you have for me today is an aspect of pride. I don't need God's counsel today. I don't need His Word today. I don't need His law today. I figured it out. I know how to live my life. Sort of a... Well, I won't go there. Mainly because I can't remember what I was going to say. Only a meek person can truly learn to love the law of God and to be eager to hear it daily. Whether it's read, whether it's preached. Listen to the words of Cornelius, uh, the the Gentile convert to the faith uh, in Acts chapter 10, verse 33. He's gathered his his family and his friends together to hear what the Apostle Peter has, has to say. And, and he says to Peter, he says, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Do, 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 do you hear the, the humility, the readiness that Cornelius has, whatever the Lord has commanded, we are here to hear it. We are here to receive it. We are here to obey it. I mean, the, the heart of the meek, the attitude of, of, of someone who is growing in Christian meekness, is, is, is praying and attending unto God's Word in this way, saying, I am here to hear what you have commanded me. I am here to submit myself to your law. I am here to, to understand your counsel, to, to be guided by your principles, your laws, not by what I think is right. Because oftentimes I know my way is not right, and my way is not the way that God would have, and I humble myself before God's Word in that sense. It, it, it's only the meek who actually respond then to the promptings of the Holy Spirit when they're reading God's Word. I mean, how many times do you read God's Word and you feel conviction in some way by the Holy Spirit? There's some correction. There's some rebuke. And in our pride, we're like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll hold that off for a little bit. I, I'm not ready to deal with that right now. And immediately, there's some aspect of, of quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit because we're not ready to receive it with meekness. Or when we hear it preached even at times, we, we don't want to receive it. I, that's not what I want right now. Instead, we ought to listen with humility before the word. James chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle exhorts the believer to receive with meekness the implanted word. Even when the word of God is read, a seed is looking to be planted into your heart, into your soul. And sometimes immediately Satan comes and steals it from us. Sometimes because of our anxieties and the, the worries of this world, it, it's, it's taken from us. Sometimes it's because we are worried about persecution and any other aspect. But there's something that's hindering us from receiving God's Word, and it's always related to a lack of meekness, knowing that God's way is always right regardless of the consequences. We have to receive God's Word with meekness, Admitting that we, we're desperate for His help. 
We need his betterment, if you will. So in every, every time I come before God's word, I'm, the, James says it's like I'm looking at myself in a mirror. And immediately all the blemishes are being pointed out. I see everything that's wrong with me. I can immediately walk away and forget what I read and be the inconsistent man. Or I can hear what God has to say and then turn that back into prayer, turn that back into mourning over my sin and looking to God to help me to become better. When we read God's Word and we don't have that mentality, we just harden our hearts all the more to anything that the Spirit would have to say to us because we're so proud that we don't want to listen. Oftentimes, we're, when we're confronted by God's Word, there's, there's some reluctance on our part to heed His command at first. Uh, when God says, we need a Sabbath rest, we like, uh, I can work, I don't need to take a rest. When, when God says, we ought to give sacrificially to the Lord. You think, well, that's not possible. I can't do that. When he tells us that we ought to tell the truth, you're like, well, that might get me into trouble. I can't do that. That I should be yoked together only with another believer. No, I think my way's better. I can, I can date and I can marry anyone I want. Every single time when we hear God's word and we reject it, we harden ourselves to the Spirit of God who's seeking to make us better to bring us healing, to bring us holiness and happiness and joy. And yet we say, nope, I know what I'm doing. My way's better. How proud is that? And yet we do it. My wife was telling me the other day of a, of a woman that we know in another church was uh, just calling to ask her, am I crazy? Her question was, my, her son is, is in college and he has a girlfriend who on the weekends wants to come and stay in his apartment. And she said no, and, and so the son said no. But then not only did the girl get upset, her mother got upset and said, you're being legalistic. And then even the pastor got involved and was kind of clueless as to what they ought to do. And I'm thinking, what in the world? What does God's Word say about our purity, about our holiness? Why would you ever go and sleep in somebody else's apartment that you're not married to? You wouldn't do that. For the very simple reason, just avoiding the appearance of evil, even if you did nothing, anyone who sees you assumes you've done something. And you bring God's name into disrepute. You lower His holiness because you claim to be one of His children. I, I just... It's amazing how quickly even we as Christians will come to that conclusion. We will justify our sin and say, well, that might apply to others. It doesn't apply to me. I think I can do this without having any troubles with it. A meek soul says, no, I think my way is right, but it must not be. If God's Word says this, I'm going to do what God's Word says, not what I think is best. Not only will the meek receive God's Word as it is, but they'll actually ask God to put more of a spotlight upon their sin to get rid of it. Well, in the, one of the hymns that we sang earlier, uh, I already forgot the phrasing of it, but basically whatever vice or sin that I struggle with, Lord, continue Your holy war against these things. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, you remember when the psalmist says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Only a believer who's growing in meekness will have such an attitude before God's Word, before the work of the Holy Spirit within them to say, I know that I'm foolish. I know that there is some hidden sin that will get take advantage of me and that will all of a sudden come into the, 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 the greatest recesses of my heart and turn me a traitor to You, O God. I know how weak I am and therefore, I'm asking you, Lord, bring the spotlight even more brightly upon my heart. Show me where I am lacking. Show me where I'm hiding. Show me where I am inconsistent. Show my hypocrisy that I might see what am I missing that's causing me not to have a relationship with you. That I don't want you because I want this thing instead. There's some idol that is set up in, in the middle of my heart Point the spotlight on it to get rid of it. I mean, every one of us, think about it, every one of us as a human being, if some one of us had a, a really big stain on the backside of our pants, would you want someone to tell you and say, I mean, you don't want to walk around all over town, hey, how's it going, blah, 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 and the whole time it looks like you crapped your pants. Right? Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. But you would want someone to tell you. You would want someone to come up and say to you, Okay, dude, you need to change your pants. Something's really wrong here. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you sat in something, but change your pants. But when God points the spotlight and says, there's something really ugly in your heart, in your soul right now, and I don't want everyone else to see it, I want you to deal with it. I, I want you to get rid of it and put on new clothes. Clothes of humility, clothes of, of confession of sin. And yet we say, no, I'm happy to walk around town letting everybody see just how ugly my heart really is. Do you not see? It only hurts you when God's trying to put the spotlight on you and you don't want to hear it. Only a, a believer growing in meekness will, will utter such words. Search me, O God. Show me the wickedness. Show me the inconsistencies. Show me the flaws, the blemishes, the imperfections that I might deal with them. It's only our pride that hinders us from doing that. One other aspect of God word meekness can be seen in our attitude toward God's providence. Our, our pride is most readily seen in the midst of our trials and, and tribulations. For it's only then that we, we realize that we still strive for some equality with God. We still think that we can do it better than Him. We still think somehow He's getting it wrong and that He's treating us unfairly, poorly. We honestly think that we can do it better. Like the, the, the prophet Jonah, when, when David was preaching through the, the Jonah series, if you remember in chapter 4, Jonah is angry. He's angry because God gives grace to the Ninevites. And then he's angry because God had given him this plant that grew up by night and covered him by day with shade. And then all of a sudden the worm came and ate it and it began to wither. And now he's angry. And he's angry with God because you did this. And I would do it better. I wouldn't do it like you did. I, I wouldn't save the Ninevites. I'd destroy them. And I certainly wouldn't attack the, the, the one plant that gave me comfort by day. And he says, I am angry and I'm justified in my anger, even willing to die because of it, because somehow my way is right and your way is wrong. Every single time I have ever met 
a struggling believer or even an unbeliever who rejects God's counsel, nine times out of ten, it's because of God's providence in their lives. They're upset because they didn't get what they wanted because God gave them something hard. God gave them some misery. Did not remove it from them. Sometimes their closest family member died. And they think, how dare you? I would never treat you this way, they say to God. Thinking that they can do it better. Thinking that somehow God is lacking in some aspect of goodness. They have totally misread his, his providence and accuse God of evil when clearly there's evil dwelling in their hearts. I know some of you may be there right now. You may not understand what I'm saying at all, but give it time, you will. You will see that you have spoken too quickly in your anger to God. He doesn't get anything wrong. Never. He always does good by his children. The meek soul says under trial something similar to what Eli the prophet said after hearing that God was going to discipline him because of his sin in relationship to his sons. When he found out from Samuel what the Lord's intentions were, he says, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Knowing that great devastation was coming. And yet he says, let the Lord do what is good to him. Unlike the Israelites grumbling and complaining in the wilderness every single time God's providence turned in a way that they didn't want, the meek soul says God's ways are always right. He knows better than I do. He's good. He's wise. He's gracious. I'm not. Therefore, I will submit to His will, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't like it, because I know that God is faithful and true. And He's good. And He always does what is right. And I know it. By faith, I know it. Even if God's providence doesn't change, even though our circumstances doesn't change immediately, and we, we still are suffering under some aspect of misery, the meek believer prays to God continually, continuing to offer up their desires unto God with a meek spirit. Not making demands of God, but asking, Lord, if it be your will, Give this to me or remove this from me. I, I, I mentioned to you before when we were going through the Lord's Prayer, the, the word supplication is another word that's often used synonymously with prayer. The word supplication stems from the root word supple. It means bendable, moldable. When you go to God in prayer, most of us have the intention of trying to bend God to our desires. When in reality, we go to God in prayer with our desires so that God can bend our desires to His providence. We're not changing God's mind. We're looking for God to change ours. That we might understand His will. That we might accept His will. That we might believe that His will is right and is good. Anyone who thinks that they have some sort of way to change God's mind, it's not going to happen. He may give us our desires. He may give it in a different time than we expect, but we're never going to change His mind. It doesn't work that way. Anyone who thinks that prayer is going to make God do what I want, that's just heresy. And Far from being weakness in this regard, meekness is, is great strength. And, and you can see this because the weak person, when they don't get what they want, what happens? They get angry. They lose control. They lose any sense of 
reverence for God. They lose any sense of peace and serenity and joy and contentment. They lose it all because they have to have this one thing. A weak person loses it when they don't get what they want. A meek person, on the other hand, maintains their joy, their contentment, their peace, their trust in God. There's a much greater strength that comes from meekness than there is from any aspect of the proud who thinks that they have strength when they don't have any at all. The meek believer demonstrates a firm trust in God's Word that does not waver every single time the waves come and ebb and flow. That's, that's sort of meekness before God. Now let's take a look at what it means to, to exhibit some meekness before men before other humans. Just as the, the meek man is, is slow to anger toward God, doesn't demand his way, doesn't stop his ears to God's Word in the same way a meek Christian is slow to anger with others. Doesn't, again, doesn't demand his way over theirs, doesn't stop his ears to their counsel. A, a proud person is not hard to spot, right? Most of the time we can see that they're proud, usually through their temper, usually through their quickness to anger. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, Solomon says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. It's just ready to bust out at any moment because they think so highly of themselves. It, it, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, um, most anger stems from pride. We think very highly of ourselves, but others don't. <laughs> we think very much of our opinion, but others don't. We think much of our gifts, others might not. We think much of ourselves, and others do not. And that makes us angry. I like the way John Stott said it. Uh, John Stott was an Anglican uh, pastor and theologian. He just passed away a few years ago. He said, it's easy to acknowledge ourselves to be sinners. But if somebody else comes up to me after church and calls me a miserable sinner, I want to punch him in the face. But he's being honest. He's just being honest. Is that not true of us as well? I mean, it's so easy to say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. What You said I'm a sinner? No! How dare you? We, we have the same hypocrisy. We admit our sin, but we don't really think it. We don't want to hear about it. It's still shameful to us. We don't want to get better. We want to hide. We say we're poor in spirit. We might say that we hate and even weep over our sin, but the minute someone else tells us about our sin and weakness, the hells, the flames of hell come out from our mouths immediately. Oh, you say I'm weak. You say I'm a sinner. What about you? You horrible, vile person. How dare you? Look at me and say anything negative about me. We're so defensive. Meekness is not weakness. A weak person immediately takes offense at the least provocation. They don't want to hear anything negative about themselves. They don't want the spotlight on their weakness. They don't want the spotlight on their sin. Immediately, if the spotlight's shining this way, they smack it around 180 degrees, point it right back to the other person. What about you? You're not so great. You're not so pretty. You're not so holy. How about you? A meek person knows not to do that. A meek person 
actually is willing to hear what that person has to say, even when they don't say it well. And most of the time, honestly, do we say it well? (laughs) When you tell someone about their sin, do you say it well? Most of the time, sinners aren't very good at telling other people about their sin. We say it very sinfully. The meek person doesn't feel the need to defend himself in that regard because he's already been justified by Christ. And honestly, if a meek person is already poor in spirit, already weeping over sin, already asking God to put the spotlight upon them, then when someone actually does it as an ambassador for Christ, they're like, God's answering my prayer. I asked Him for me to sh- some, for God to show me my sin, and now He's doing it. Thank God. The meek person says, <laughs> the proud person says, what? That's not what I asked for. That's not what I prayed. This is ridiculous. It's like Habakkuk complaining about the, the Babylonians and the Assyrians coming to attack them after he had complained how Israel was so sinful. And now someone more sinful is coming to attack them. It's not fair. He wanted God to address the sin. Well, he did it. He just did it with people that, that Habakkuk didn't want to do it. The meek person is, is also slow to become angry when he or she is not treated with respect. It's interesting. I don't really think I ever struggled with um, anger much as a kid in terms of respect especially. And I remember seeing at least a close relative of mine, let's just leave it at that, that just seemed like they always got angry over any aspect of disrespect from another person. But the older I get, I have new temptations. And now I seem to get angry over the same dumb things. And I was trying to think about that the other day. When you're young, and especially when you're like a grade school teenager, what have you, you don't really get angry that much when people disrespect you just because you're so used to it. You're surrounded by fools who always say horrible, negative things about you, and, and, and you're, you're used to being torn down every day of your life. Kids, it does get better. But here's why it gets better for most of us. As adults, what we do is we try to isolate ourselves from those people as much as we can. As a kid, you can't do it. You're surrounded by this Lord of the Fly scenario in school that you can't get rid of. Oh, it's a hell on earth. Get away from it as much as you can. All they do is tear you down. It's all they do. But as an adult, you're like, well, I'm not going to spend time with that person. I'm not going to spend time with that I'm going to hang out with just this one little group, and I never have to talk to anyone else. And you think that you're pretty calm. You think that you're a happy person until one person, usually a store clerk, maybe someone in traffic, or some other person who all of a sudden doesn't give you the respect that you think that you deserve, and what happens? Hellfire comes out of your mouth all over again. You haven't been susceptible to it because you've isolated yourself from it, but God purposely brings that person into your life to show you, yeah, you're not as meek as you think you are. Sometimes He does it within the church. Again, brings people that will show you all of your sins, show you all of your weakness. And, and honestly, sometimes they're happy to point all these things out to you. I was uh, reading about the passage, uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, or if you remember, that's where um, God's Word says that Moses was very meek. In fact, the meekest of all the people on the face of the earth. That's a pretty strong statement. Of course, we know that Moses wrote the book of Numbers, so it wasn't that hard for him to say that. We uh, we believe that there was some editing later on where 
an editor comes along and, and gives a little bit more information to, to set the context for what's taking place even in the, the books of Moses. What's happening in that, that chapter is Aaron and Miriam are attacking Moses and his leadership. But the chapter prior to that, the rest of the people are attacking Moses and his leadership. And the chapter after that, another group is attacking Moses and his leadership. And you can see why Moses would have opportunity after opportunity to grow in meekness because someone's always pointing out his weakness, always pointing out his sin. And if you really want to grow in meekness, just get involved in ministry. That's all you got to do. If you really want to grow fast, get involved in leadership. Oh, they will show you all the good things about your life that you don't want to see. They will point them out to you again and again. Weakness, sin. They will undermine everything that you do and then say, uh, what, what's wrong with you? That's what they'll do. You've got to love it. And I will tell you, I, I think by being in some aspect of ministry, I think it has helped in a lot of ways. I, I think I have been humbled, sometimes humiliated in, in a number of ways. Um, but there's still so much room for growth. I mean, there's always something that I'm still very proud about. And every now and then I'll be sensitive, be defensive, be quick to give a word back to someone who's given a word to me. And I see it come out and I'm like, that is so ugly. It's so, so ugly. And yet God is using that person to help me see it. Spotlight's back on me. Even Moses, it's, it's interesting after, you know, it says all that about him being the meekest man on earth, but there are times in which Moses, he's, he's praying that his own brothers and sisters, uh, the Jewish people, would be saved, even if that meant he was sent to hell. Clearly, there's a meekness there. But then later on, he's striking the rock in anger as if the rock were them. Because they're constantly, constantly undermining him and saying horrible things about him. And now he's angry with God. Not just them, but with God because God put him in this and gave him all these children who are unruly and complaining. And you can see why God eventually doesn't allow him to enter the promised land because he's not acting in meekness at all in that regard. The, the only perfect man of meekness we know is the Lord Jesus, right? He went through the same things that Moses went through and much worse and and yet he continued in meekness. I mean, in his meekness in reference to his father, he says, behold, I have come to do your will. Everything is about God's will. He tells the disciples, my food and my drink is to do the will of my father. Look at the meekness. Not, I've come to do my will. I'm God, I can do what I want. But rather to come to do the Father's will, even when he's praying, even in the midst of great agony, and he's about to go to the cross, he's he's asking, he's offering up his desires unto God, Lord, take this cup from me, please. But then also, if not my will, let yours be done. Even though he's fully God. Paul says in Philippians 2, he doesn't consider equality with God something to grasp at. Instead, he makes himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, humbling himself even to the point of death on the cross. He doesn't deserve death. He doesn't deserve any of the suffering and the misery that he undergoes, and yet he does it all in meekness unto his Father. In relationship to, to sinful men, he's still meek before them. 
There's no demand that he be. Isaiah 53, 7, we're told that although he was oppressed and afflicted on every side, he's not opening his mouth in anger. 1 Peter 2, 23, that when he was reviled by men, he did not revile them in return. Even when they crucified him, similar to Moses, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Proud man can't say that. He's so concerned about what has happened to him. He's pitying himself. He's justifying himself. Christ is not doing any of that. He's looking past their sin, looking to give them some aspect of love. Now, that doesn't mean that Christ never expressed anger. He clearly did. You think of the time where he's confronting the Pharisees, right? And you brood of vipers, calling out their hypocrisy at different times. And then, in addition to that, he's also in the temple of God, if you remember, overturning the tables of the money changers and of the merchants who are selling their wares in God's holy temple. Great anger. What's the difference? In both of these situations, his anger is not over someone disrespecting him. His anger stems from people disrespecting God and his neighbors. There's a big difference when he shows his anger compared to when we show ours. Ours is almost always over personal offenses, whereas his is aroused by offenses against God and his neighbor. Notice that. The one who is growing in meekness is also growing in love for God and neighbor and properly stands up at the right time and expresses anger. This is not a weakness. It's a very great strength. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, to follow in his footsteps in this regard, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now what is he saying there? Literally, it's the idea that you're going to share Christ's burden in love for God and love for others in terms of, of sacrificing our own self, our own needs, our own desires. And when we do that, we're not going to lose it. We're not going to be constantly anxious and angry, but we'll have rest for our souls because we'll know what it means to share in the love of Christ and, and rest in, in His confidence. Share in that contentment. Again, meekness is not weakness. It takes great strength to stand up for God in a culture that hates Him. It takes great strength to stand up for your neighbor when no one else seems to care for them. But we're so quick to stand up for our own self, our own rights, so slow to put up for the rights of others. Let me think about it. If someone takes your name in vain, uses your name in an unkind way, you're angry. Do you get that angry when God's name is taken in vain? Does it bother you as much? Clearly, there's something wrong with us when we care so much about ourselves and, and our kingdom and our name and our will. We've, we've got it backwards. It shows once again that the meekness that Christ speaks of here has nothing to do with that natural fearful disposition uh, that's often attributed to someone who's soft, if you will. They're, they're just they're afraid. They're a coward. Now, someone who's meek is not a coward at all. They're not afraid of what other people think of them. They're 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 working in love. They're not working in fear. It takes great strength to do that, to stand up for what's right, and not always to have to stand up for your own rights. 
The naturally meek man may be a coward and a weakling, but the spiritual meek Christian never is. It takes great strength from heaven to live in this way. And it's a neat thing to see. I, I think sometimes the, the, some of the, the most proud and angry men prior to coming to Christ sometimes are the meekest you'll ever see. They're greatly humbled by the sin that everyone has seen. And they begin to desperately cry upon God's grace for help. The rest of us who may not have as much of an overt, angry disposition, may not sense it, may not see it, try to hide it more and get away with it. So how does a man actually grow in this way? How does a woman become more meek? Certainly doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> the best way, as I said, is just to uh, uh, ask God for more trials and tribulations. Start there. Uh, secondly, ask God to bring people that absolutely despise you into your life. That'll help. Immediately, it'll help you grow in humility. It's interesting, though. There, there, there is something you can do in the sense of uh, you're not just waiting for God to do something in that regard. Uh, the, a number of passages in Scripture, Zephaniah 2.3, we're told to seek it out. Seek out meekness. 1 Timothy 6.11, we're told to follow after meekness. Colossians 3.12, we're told to put it on like a garment as we're taking off our pride and our anger. We're putting on some aspect of meekness. Ephesians 4 verse 1, we're urged to walk in meekness. Not to walk in the ways of the flesh, but to walk in meekness. It's interesting, every positive command in Scripture, you could sort of replace the word it. Walk in it or put it on. You can always replace the word it with Christ because ultimately that's what you're doing. You think about it, we want to grow in meekness, we need to seek the source of meekness, which is Christ. As we put on Christ, we put on meekness. As we walk in Christ, we walk in meekness. As we seek Christ, we seek meekness, and on and on. We begin to develop His mindset. The more we know Christ, the more we'll know meekness. The less we know of Him, we'll have no concept. Galatians 5.22 makes it very plain. Meekness or gentleness, the, the words translated differently, but it's the same word in the Greek. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes as a result of someone who's in a right relationship with Christ and growing by the power of the Spirit and, and holiness. If we aren't bearing the fruit of the Spirit, what are we bearing? The awful, ugly works of the flesh. And we know what that looks like. We're easily offended, quick to anger, quick to speak, quick to complain, quick to demand, quick to point the spotlight on anybody else but us. The only way to break that pattern is to confess our sin unto God for our pride. Confess our sin to each other every time it comes out. And it may come out many times in a day or a week, to confess that immediately. Ask the Lord to give you more tears, to weep over it. To turn away from it, to take it off, and to put on Christ. The one who humbles himself in this way, God says, will be truly blessed and will receive the promised portion in the promised land that we read earlier of in Psalm 37. Jesus is making the same promises as, the, as David did in Psalm 37. The, the question, it's, again, it's a, it's a difference of worldview. David is seeing the mighty. He's seeing the proud. He's seeing the arrogant and all that it seems like they're accomplishing. And at the same time, they're tearing him down. 
and pointing out his weakness and pointing out his sin. And the assurity of the promises that, that he, he receives from God is that no, the proud will be ripped away from the land, but the meek will enjoy it forever. They will inherit. It's not the proud that conquer and steal the land. It's the meek that receive it as a gracious gift from God in heaven because he knows God and God longs to give good gifts to his children. If you trust him, he will give you not just a place in the eternal realm of joy, but even here on earth, he will give you that peace, that contentment, that joy that no unbeliever will ever know because you're trusting in Christ. And as you trust in Christ, you develop the mind of Christ and the mind of meekness. I tell you, it's a better road. It's a better path. It's a lot less ugly. And your, your pants don't look quite so bad either. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us There's no one in this room that, that can't relate to the, the pride and the anxiety and the, the quick temper. Even if we're fearful and even if we try to avoid confrontation, avoid any aspect of ugliness in our lives, it always finds us. Thankfully, it finds us because it then tests us and shows us what we're lacking, shows us how our, our faith is dull. Lord, help us not to be afraid of the spotlight. You are all light. We want to live in your presence. Shine your light upon us that we might walk in the fellowship of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.